0: Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time.
1: Aren't you going to welcome? Oh yeah, welcome to Two Guys, One Book again. Um, We are back for Breakfast of Champions. That's right. Because Brian and I are champions. (laughs) right? And we like our Wheaties.
0: (laughs) Do you like Wheaties? No. They're so grainy. No, I know. I don't know who eats Wheaties anymore. Is Breakfast of Champions about Wheaties? Yeah, that's their slogan. Oh, okay. Wheaties is the breakfast of champions. Hmm. From, like, the 80s or something. Yeah. Right? But still, it's probably trademarked still. Yeah.
1: Anyway, Tim. Yes. You picked this book, didn't uh-huh. you? I did. Why did you pick this book? Well, I was waiting for that question. And, uh, <laughs> and the reason is we have read some books that, you know, we've had our ups and downs in terms of picking books and picking authors. But I figured a Kurt Vonnegut book would be a safe pick. In terms of a good one. Okay, so you're thinking about quality
0: of the book, not the
1: subject matter. I figured, risk-wise, we had a safe bet. I didn't know anything about the book itself when I picked it. like yeah. that's the best way to pick books right just not no just blindly throw a dart well I'm, i went in with an open mind saying i uh-huh. i love slaughterhouse five that was the only other book i read by uh-huh. him i know you've read like
0: four of his books or something this is my fourth one yeah. this is your fourth yeah okay. so yeah so you like slaughterhouse five mm-hmm. and so you like, wanted to read another one of his right and because i had read a couple other ones we were kind of limited in our selection of Vonnegut books so you picked this one exactly okay that's fair what was your first impression of the book or overall impression? I thought it was good. It was it was easy to read. Mm-hmm. It was quick. He had some drawings in there to, to uh, let you go more about the plot summary, but a little disappointed mm. ultimately uh, it was not going where I wanted it to go or where I thought it would go. Wait, wait, so you thought it could be better you had yes. the book was a certain way and you
1: thought it could be better in a different way i know i i i know that for those who yes. nobody listens but for those who might listen brian always gets mad at me because i say how do you think this book could be better yep. and brian's like i'm so enlightened i think a book is what it is and
0: it's not our place to criticize it but now he's
1: contra- he's contradicting himself i know
0: i know i hate it tim i hate it so much because i knew you were gonna do this um But no, yes, we can get into this more later, but I definitely wanted it to do something else. And I think that fiction stories might be where I want the story to do something different. I don't necessarily need the author to explain anything to me everything to me or have a nice have everything wrap up in a pretty little bow. Like I am I I am fine with like a and ending that leaves something to be desired a cliffhanger or not so much a cliffhanger but like you know the end of inception like the movie you know like was he asleep or awake you know the the, top the the top spin yeah yeah you know like i like endings like that and Mm -hmm. and so i mean i'm i'm open for creative and artistic choices when it comes to storytelling but in certain cases i definitely don't like Some things, and I want them to do something different. Hmm. And so this happened to be one of those pieces. I'm I'm interested to get more details
1: as we go on, but uh, I'm a little surprised, I'll be honest. Okay. I thought you'd like this more. I I think, I mean, I'm probably about the same level of how I feel about this. Mm. Like, I thought it was good, but a little disappointed. But you just, it seems to me like you love like crazy stuff. Like, when we're reading, like, Correct. You know, um, what's that? Fear and Loathing oh, in Las Vegas. Yeah. Like just said, that has all these mm. crazy parts and things. But yeah. it was also like maybe deeper in some ways, or deeper.
0: Maybe not deeper. I, I, I think don't. yes. I would have to say I agree with that. Mm-hmm. That um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was more of a, about a surreal trip, mm-hmm. whereas this one I just felt like there was no. Um, I felt like this was definitely more superficial, and just. It is what it is. He kind of wrote it this way, Mm -hmm. and we just have to take it. So, but you've read three of his books already. Right. So it seems like you kind of knew what you're getting into. Oh, right. right. Kurt Vonnegut, to me, um, is not my favorite author. Mm. I like his books because they are easy. They're quick. To me, they are quicker reads. They are unpredictable. They have unique characters. But I also think. For me, they are somewhat forgetful. Or forgettable. Excuse me. Ooh. Forgettable. Not forgetful. Forgetful is when somebody is forgettable. they're forgettable a little bit. Because, I mean, like, it's, not, it's not that I don't enjoy them. It's just, I, like, the only one I really remember is Player Piano. Like, I read Slaughterhouse-Five so long ago, I don't remember pretty much anything of that. Because I was confused and I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. I liked Player Piano because that one felt like the most... That was actually his first novel and it felt like they had the most typical storyline like this ha- linear storytelling with much just surrealist intervention mm-hmm. um, and then Cat's Cradle was kind of forgettable too
1: yeah I started that I couldn't actually get mm-hmm. into it but right. Slaughterhouse-Five is one of my favorite books though I good mean, for you I
0: read it I'm just
1: saying <laughs> I, I think if you read it again you
0: might have a newer appreciation of it yes I completely agree with that statement I might but I might not So, but like I look at Vonnegut, like he is an artist to me. He he is he's an author, but he's also an artist that creates. I think his books do leave an impression on you. Like they're for, to me, like what happens in them is kind of forgettable. That like I finished this book a week ago, and I had to like oh what happened, and so that kind of made an impression on me that I a week later I was I had to go back and be like oh now what happened in this book I forget exactly, but at the same time I feel like he's taking you on like a surreal journey and no one else can write like Vonnegut. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have that appreciation for him just like I have an appreciation for abstract art. Even if I don't really feel like I fully understand what the artist is trying to convey in this minimalist or this weird contraption of paint swirls or whatever on a canvas, I have an appreciation for artists that challenge us to think outside of the box. Even if we don't like what we're what we see or what we read, I still have an appreciation for people willing to stretch the norms like that. You so know what I mean? You're a Jackson Pollock fan. is what I'm getting. I actually do like Jackson Pollock. <laughs> I mean the cuz like the one with the smattering of the paint. That well, there, one, that's all he does, Tim. It was like, kind of a joke. But that's okay. Like <laughs> yeah. I saw, I actually saw Jackson Pollock in person, like I think at the Cleveland Art Museum. I was very impressed. I actually thought it was rather beautiful. Like other abstract, but like it's hit or miss. Abstract art is hit or miss with me. And I think that's kind of the point of abstract art is like not everyone's gonna get every, it's not like you're gonna love every single piece of abstract art, but, and then that's kind of what I like about Vonnegut is like I, I'm willing to read hit more of his books because he is the type of author that I might find one I really, really, really like. Mm-hmm. Or I might find some other
1: books. But I, I guess it's a tricky analogy, because he's not so much like an... He doesn't write with abstract language. It's all simple. Like, you would say it's simple to read. But yeah. it doesn't have much of a plot. Like, it's the it's very chaotic in terms of what happens. Well,
0: what does happen, him? What is the plot? <laughs> Are we going to do a plot? Or do you want to do your first impressions first? I, I've kind <laughs> <I've kinda laughs> of gone on the rails. What were your first impressions, Thank Tim? you. So <laughs> Brian's <laughs> off
1: his soapbox now, talking about abstract art. Um... I liked it I mean I liked it I wouldn't say I loved it um so I listened to the audiobook and John Malkovich <laughs> narrated it so oh, wow that was kind of fun that actually would be pretty good he has a good voice for like Vonnegut's works mm-hmm. but there were a lot of drawings in the book where it sounded funny but like you know like you mm-hmm. read the paperback yeah. yeah and so John Malkovich would be like and here is a drawing of a cat <laughs> you know he oh, would just really? like, yeah so it's like I mean, I could look them up if I wanted to. You get the idea. But I feel like I missed out a little bit on the experience. Yeah, you did. But no, I mean, I re- like you said, he has a unique voice. Like, no one else writes quite like him. So I guess mm-hmm. I can respect that. Um, I thought I might appreciate it more if I read his other books first because he mm-hmm. brings all these other characters in. So that's why I thought you might have liked it more.
0: Well, actually, I didn't really know any of the characters beforehand. Like, I know... I think Kill... Kilgore Trout is referenced in Slaughterhouse-Five, mm-hmm. but I don't, I didn't remember that. And it's like Rosewater. Yeah, Elliot Rosewater, mm-hmm. but he's in a completely different book that oh, I never read. Oh, you didn't read that? that. I never okay. read. So, yeah, I kind of like that. Like, It's his own universe. I do, yes. Yeah. I like that, but, and, it's, and it's, it's very thinly connected. It's not like, I think Elliot Rosewater and Kilgore Trout are his two main mm-hmm. characters that are in multiple books, but. My
1: biggest critique with the book is that it just felt kind of, like, self-indulgent. Like, he was, like, almost laughing at his own jokes type thing. Like, uh, I don't think it was, like, as witty or clever as, like, some people might interpret it to be. Mm-hmm. Or... Right. And he, like, even writes himself into the book as a character at one point. And then it just, to me, it almost feels like lazy storytelling that you can just, like, inject such a crazy thing and break the fourth wall. Yeah, those devices were a little jarring to me. But like like I said, it's kind of the point to be chaotic and crazy.
0: Right. And so that's that's what I'm getting at with him being like an abstract mm-hmm. artist is that, is that he does bring himself into the book. Mm-hmm. Like he talks about how he created these people. He, he determines what they do, mm-hmm. but he's there in the booth next to them at the nightclub or the Holiday Inn mm-hmm. and he's... Ordering drinks from the waitress and interacting with them, mm-hmm. I I what you said a little bit ago, I felt like that was kind of lazy. Mm-hmm. I feel like was he just kind of coming up with this story of these two guys meeting and one and didn't know what else to put around it, or to expand on it more, so he just like plopped himself there.
1: The more I think about it, it's like uh, adaptation. Yeah, you yeah, seen that movie. Yeah. So like Charlie Kaufman is adapting the what is that. The orchid, the white orchid, yeah, or the orchid thief, some book by like Susan Orlean, yeah. and then he sort of ends up writing himself into the story, and then, but he's also very self-deprecating in it too. So and Vonnegut would be about himself at times, mm-hmm. so maybe that's kind of how you can get away with that is <laughs> make fun of yourself enough, and then it's I okay. guess yeah. <laughs> just a thought. You want to go over okay. the plot now? Yeah. So. Um, you love first sentences, right? In a book. that Oh yes, is I do. You. So You're right. why don't you read? Uh, oh, you want me to the first read the first one?
0: sentence? I fe- I think the first but, one was a good one. Yeah. I mean, I was going to read it later anyway. Uh-huh, okay. So okay, here we go. This is the opening of the book. This is a tale of a meeting of two lonesome, skinny, fairly old white men on a planet which was dying fast. One of them was a science fiction writer named Kilgore Trout. He was a nobody at the time, and he supposed his life was over. He was mistaken. As a consequence of the meeting, he became one of the most beloved and respected human beings in history. The man he met was an automobile dealer, a Pontiac dealer named Dwayne Hoover. Dwayne Hoover was on the brink of going insane. Mm. Yeah, I mean that was more than a sentence, but it's. Uh... So you, you only went <laughs> no, to no, the no, very no. first sentence. I'm glad. <laughs> that I'm... was the whole point. Like yeah. the whole, like it perfectly let build up the whole book is <laughs> summed up in that first paragraph right you're welcome listeners you don't read the book now
1: okay so the two main characters Kilgore Trout and Dwayne Hoover so crazy author crazy automobile uh, automobile salesman mm-hmm. and honestly most of the book is okay how does it start it's like Kilgore Trout gets invited to speak by Rosewater yeah. at, like, some event. And he doesn't really want to do it, but he wants to go there anyway and just tell them that, like, there's no truth or beauty in art or something. He's just <laughs> sort of the cynical... Yeah. I think he's kind of like Vonnegut's alter ego, but, like, the mm-hmm. more crashy side of him. Right. And then um, Dwayne Hoover, automobile salesman. And so eventually they cross paths towards the end. and And there's so much foreshadowing without this. Vonnegut just... It's not even foreshadowing. He straight up says, like, this is what's going to happen. Dwayne's going to go crazy Mm -hmm. and bite, like, Kilgore Trout's finger off or something. Dwayne Hoover ends up reading part of this book by Kilgore Trout, and it says how everyone's like a machine. And so that, like, turns something loose in Dwayne Hoover's head, and he goes crazy and starts, like, this violent attack on everyone around him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The end. Okay, so wait, you, wait. <laughs>
1: No, go ahead. You know they made a movie about this? Did they really? Bruce Willis was in it in the 70s. Bruce Willis in the movie yeah. in the 70s? Did he have hair? I mean, like a little bit.
0: I saw a trailer. It looks super weird. Oh. Wouldn't this be hard to adapt into a movie? This would be almost impossible. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I guess you have the two characters. Like, they're living their own separate lives. It'd be tricky to pull off. It would be but, very tricky to pull off. Kilgore Trout's on his way from New York to Midland City. And Dwayne Hoover's in Midland City, selling cars, and slowly going insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other side characters are involved. Are like mostly in Dwayne Hoover's world, and um, are eventually the people he beats up after he goes insane. So basically, the, the book that... Kilgore Trout's a science fiction writer. He writes all of these books that never get published, or that get published in dirty magazines, or whatever. Mm-hmm. When they meet Kilgore Trout and Dwayne Hoover, Kilgore Trout just gives him a book... Dwayne Hoover reads it and then he goes crazy because, in, like you said, everyone's robots except for this one man, Dwayne Hoover. Dwayne Hoover believes he's the only being capable of free will in the whole universe. So that's why he just goes around beating people up because, like, ah, oh, they're robots. They can't feel this. Boom, 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 That's your beating that's up sound. That's not beating up sound. Boom, boom, boom. As you can tell, I've never beaten up anybody in my life. Anyway. Okay. So, and then what happens at the very, very end?
1: Oh, Vonnegut comes into the picture? Yeah. And he's like, because he's like telling Kilgore Trout, you're going to meet the creator of the universe, and then it's just like, it's me, and I can, you know, take you anywhere in the world and just like transport settings instantly, and like, he's just basically God to Kilgore Trout. I don't know. That's about it. I know, right? So the point is, like, I mean, not to say the point, but, like, what happens a lot is there are tons of tangents with the side characters. So it'll just mention one thing and then sort of go off on this side story. Right. And it's usually something dark. It's usually something, like, satirical, Mm tongue-in-cheek, maybe about how, like, America messed up in this way or that way. Because he's very, like, anti-war. He's very, like, there's a lot of, like, race stuff in here where he's, like, Pointing out these issues, yeah. So
0: I was surprised that the N word appeared so much in this book. Right,
1: that was a little much. Yeah, like I don't think, like you know, this was the '70s,
0: right? Early '70s. '70s, yeah. So do you think he, you see, it's, it's one of those things where like, was he making a commentary about uh, white and the discrepancy between white America and black America by using that word, and how, or was he just kind of like, well, it's what people say. That's a good question. Yeah, it's tough. Does his does does what his intention of using that word so often even matter? Because I f- I feel like it kind of doesn't because the times have changed and I'm reading this I can't help but read it with eyes from 2019. Mm-hmm. So I read the N word that much and I'm like, as a white person, I just feel ashamed. And I'm like, no matter what, it's like it just is. It, to me, it's just not necessary. I feel like he addresses. So many other of the issues, like Midland City is this fictional town, but I feel like it's kind of based off Indianapolis because Kurt Vonnegut grew up in Indianapolis. And then he talks about how the white neighborhoods and the black neighborhoods are very different and people don't go from one to the other or something. And, and, and like, he could have conveyed completely his message without using the N-word. But, again, it was the early 70s, so, like, I'm willing to, like, say, like, okay, you know... Yeah, I mean maybe you could say it's
1: just his way of doing the commentary like you said. But it's not like Huckleberry Finn you see it in there sometimes, but in that context of that book, it definitely has more purpose and, you know, showing the racism of the time and stuff. Right.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean that's yeah, but That was definitely kind of questionable. It was yeah, it was just it just kind of removed me from reading the book. But um I think his tangents were entertaining and good, mm-hmm. and I felt like a lot of the times he would explain things in the most basic form. Mm-hmm. Like he would say, "A gun is a tool that makes holes in people," and sometimes the wife will make holes in the husband, or the husband will make holes in the wife. Or just the other day, a teenage boy got got in trouble for making holes in his parents when he didn't want to show him a bad report card or something mm-hmm. like that. The way he broke things down at their base level and explained them, I kinda liked. Mm-hmm. It made it led me to believe that the narrator who was telling the story, because it's always told it's told from Kurt Vonnegut's perspective as the author, mm-hmm. but he doesn't explicitly say that it's him as the author until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was maybe some other being, an alien perhaps, that was trying to explain how humans lived on Earth. Or maybe it was like, the book that he, that he gives, the, that Kilgore Trout gives to Dwayne Hoover is about how everything else is a robot except for this one person, and I was kind of ex- hoping that, here's what I thought might be cool about the book, is that it turns out the person writing the book isn't Kurt Vonnegut, the author, but some sort of other being that's telling you, the reader, is, or, or is the only uh, person capable of free will in this world, and he's writing this story to let you know that, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that might be a cool twist. So you're saying it would have been better if he just did it differently. <laughs> just to reiterate. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> With this book, I'm, there is an explicit Fair a, explicit way I find that the book no. could be better.
1: Okay, I want to talk about it for a second cuz I do like his sort of detached tone about everything. Like talking about shooting someone is putting holes in them because he doesn't get so caught up in the emotion of how like ridiculous things in the world are. He's just saying like This is how it is, like, good or bad, that's the world.
0: But I think in a way, by doing that, he is showing the absurdity of some things. And I I like that aspect of it. Yeah, he's great um, at pointing out the absurdity, for sure. Mm -hmm. And one thing, another thing I think I I forget um, exactly how it went, but he explained how he didn't say that he was lighting a cigarette. He was saying... He was set he was lighting on fire a tube filled with leaves and inhaling that tube filled with leaves mm-hmm. you know like like so that's another example of how he didn't how he just explained things at their base core level and that you're like oh yeah that does sound kind of ridiculous very literal yeah like yeah yeah I did they kind of like all the shout outs to like Ohio and stuff did you notice that well I think that's what made me that's what made me, like, think Midland City might be a real place. Because uh-huh. he was, as Kilgore Trout was traveling from New York to Midland City, he was passing all these other places.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was saying how he was getting closer and closer to Midland City when he was passing, like, uh, Ashtabula, Ohio, or Dayton, right. o- Dayton, Ohio, or stuff like that. So, and then when I Googled Kurt Vonnegut and learned he was born and raised in Indianapolis, then I was like, oh, well, it's got to be Indianapolis. hmm Midland
1: city. the fact that it's called midland city is kind of funny because yeah. he talks about like the middle of America midwest and it's called midland mm-hmm. you know so but it's probably a, an interesting uh setting choice because all of the characters he points out are very like simple in their own ways but also kind of crazy in different ways like he goes off on um yeah like we said the tangents and just to point out like some interesting little tidbit about a person sometimes it's sort of extreme and they come off as ridiculous but it's kind of a fun way to jump around i guess
0: i felt like his characters were compelling and interesting and and but we didn't but kind of still on the surface like mm-hmm. it's a rather short book and he his his when he would go off on a tangent they weren't very long you know <laughs> it was kind of interesting that we read this book following a hundred years of solitude where Gabriel Garcia Marquez in that book would r- rattle on and on and on about a character and just seamlessly transition to the other character and rattle on and on and on Well, mm-hmm. Kurt Vonnegut, the book was literally split up with little dots from paragraph to paragraph whenever he was switching from one person and then he's going to talk about the receptionist at the the car dealership where Dwayne worked. So if you have attention
1: issues, this is a good book for you because you can just yeah, sort of... Yeah, <laughs> I
0: mean you just... It, that's what makes it such a quick read. Is you're like you can you feel like you're flying through it because right. you just through all these little paragraphs in no time. Lots of commentary in it, like we talked about, like mm-hmm. sort of. I don't want to say like anti-American, but definitely like anti-war and. Right. I mean, I think that's one thing I like about Vonnegut is that he is kind of willing to critique America, not just America, but like human beings and human society and mm-hmm. why we do things the way we do them. And I feel like this is a another way of doing it by showcasing these absurd examples of uh, the differences in in black and white culture or the things that we do, why do we do the things we do be just because we've always done them that way and so I feel like he's good at pointing those out too.
1: Right, well even just talking about how like, he'll talk about Christopher Columbus, how we're taught about him in school and how he discovered yeah. America when really like people were living here That's I mean, one of my quotes man Rich and imaginative yeah, lives, yeah. yeah Well you can still read it, yeah. that's a good one it is. We can. I feel like if we start
0: doing quotes, we'll kind of. It'll lead to other yeah. New stuff. You to? Yeah. I I'll start with that question. Yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's towards the beginning of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I do like the opening of the book. <laughs> it's got a good first line, first paragraph where it explains the two main characters. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, yeah, he talks about yeah at the begin very beginning of the book. He's talking about the America at large and society and how fourteen hundred and ninety two is a is a number that. School teachers would write on the ch- uh, Yeah, here it is. 1492. The teachers told the children that this was when their continent was discovered by human beings. Actually, millions of human beings were already living full and imaginative lives on the continent in 1492. That was simply the year in which sea pirates began to cheat and rob and kill them. <laughs> sea pirates? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> And we still have a Columbus Day, and we still uh, yeah, haven't. exactly right. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, I think I think that's a, one good thing that Vonnegut is good at doing is changing perspective, mm-hmm. which I think we all should do. Every human being should practice a little bit of just changing your perspective from your own worldview to that of somebody else's. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I'm not, you know, it, it's not always pleasant when when you see things from another person's perspective, but. He nails it on the head with this Columbus quote, well, especially that it was written like 6, you know, 50 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Like
1: to read it now it's not it doesn't sound super controversial, but like at the time it's probably mm-hmm.
0: you know, hit a little harder. Well, yeah, and I think with the Vietnam war during that time too. Right. Added to some of his yeah. uh, feelings. And another thing he says is like along those
1: lines, um, he mentions there's a Thomas Jefferson High School his high school was named after a slave owner who was also one of the world's greatest theoreticians on the subject of human liberty. <laughs> right. So it's just like a short, succinct, little, uh-huh. you know,
0: little jam. pretty clever. Yeah. You want to do another one? Well, here's another one for your list of aphorisms or whatever. Oh, yeah. If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Huh. Yeah. Is
1: that, is that from the book?
0: He mentions it in the book. But it's actually, it is a phrase. It's not, I don't think Kurt Vonnegut created it. I'm collecting a list of sayings and aphorisms for yes. those who are confused. <laughs> On the side of doing a podcast. So Tim is a true renaissance man. I am just, it's a fun little side <laughs> thing. I almost got a hundred. Oh, was it? Really? Yeah. If wishes were... If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Okay. So Dwayne Hoover... Not only does he, is he a car salesman, but he owns a bunch of uh, other restaurants and hotels in the area. And so um, he goes to one of his burger chefs that he owns. Mm-hmm. Dwayne's waitress at the burger chef was a 17-year-old white girl named Patty Keen. Her hair was yellow. Her eyes were blue. She was very old for a mammal. Most mammals were senile or dead by the time they were 17. But Patty was sort a sort of mammal which developed very slowly so the body she rode around in was only now mature <laughs> yeah like you yeah. said he has a funny way of <laughs> yeah. describing it right and he's right like most mammals like your dog's not gonna live to 17 right but well like who would think to write
1: like that i know, I know. We're saying like there's a girl you see and
0: that's <laughs> just it that. that's that's one thing that is a good example of why i will mm-hmm. keep reading vonnegut that was actually
1: one of my more favorite parts of the book is that their interaction. So Patty's this young girl who's like her parent uh, had cancer or something, and she's like trying to pay off these huge medical bills. Mm-hmm. And then she recognizes this like wealthy dude who was who like with a wave of a magic wand could just solve everything in her life. So she's sort of like starstruck and kind of like, I don't know, flirting. She, but Yeah, just, she
0: tries to flirt, but yeah. then
1: like Wayne Hoover is like in his own little world, so it doesn't even really sink into him. Yeah. I actually like this passage this is the one i had next because um, it's kind of like she couldn't really be herself or say what she wanted mm-hmm. um he says the women all had big minds because they were big animals but they didn't use them for the this reason unusual ideas could make enemies and the women if they were going to achieve any sort of comfort and safety needed all the friends they could get so in the interest of survival they trained themselves to be agreeing machines all their minds had to do was discover what other people were thinking, and then they thought it too, oh. which comes off as like super anti-feminist yes. or something. Especially as this is written during like the right. '70s, like mm. revolution. But I think the general point is that like for a long time, women weren't like kind of safe to say what they thought or felt. Oh, they just sort of right. had to
0: like they had to be agreeable, and right. go along with things because there were dangerous consequences if they didn't. Mm-hmm and I think I think that's a good spin on it because you're right at first it comes off as a little sexist but but I think Vonnegut is saying like you know they have
1: big minds that's like you know could think just as well uh, like as any human can right but and watching like Mad Men or some show set in the (laughs) 60s 70s it's just, it's not funny, but it's, like, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Men. Is that a laugh a minute? There are funny minute. There are funny parts in it. I've never seen it. But there are, um, when you see, like, how hard it is for, like, a woman to make it in the workplace there and mm-hmm. kind of navigate that culture mm-hmm. where it's, like, you're trying to be taken
0: seriously. Yeah, I think this quote summarizes that kind of thing mm-hmm. pretty well. So here he has a picture of a rattlesnake mm-hmm. because he... he I'm, I'm holding it up so Tim can see because s- you don't see this in your audio book do you? <laughs> they can't hear it on the podcast either. <laughs> I'm holding it up for you to see not our listeners. Right. Come on man. Listener. So for whatever reason he's talking about a rattlesnake but then he'll go off on this tangent and say the creator of the universe had put a rattle on its tail the creator also ha- had also given it front teeth which were hypodermic syringes filled with deadly poison. Sometimes I wonder about the creator of the universe. <laughs> that's a good little yeah.
1: aside yeah well that it's funny because like in this book he's the creator of like Kilgore Trout's universe yes. and all these people and right. and you're like how could he be so crazy in some of the stuff he comes up with but then he points out like a rattlesnake uh-huh. which is objectively like kind of crazy when
0: you think about it but I, but you see so that that kind of thing where that was before we fe- we really knew that it, that the nar- the narrator of the book was Kurt Vonnegut as the author yeah. So, like, I was like, I was trying to figure out who the narrator was, what role did he play in everything. Yeah, so that left me kind of disappointed when I found out it was Kurt Vonnegut.
1: There's one part I liked. He said, uh, As for myself, I had come to the conclusion that there is nothing sacred about myself or any human being, that we were all machines doomed to collide and collide and collide. For want of anything better to do, we became fans of collisions. Sometimes I wrote well about collisions, which meant I was writing machine. I was a writing machine in good repair. Sometimes I wrote badly, which meant I was a writing machine in bad repair. I no more harbored sacredness than did a Pontiac, a mousetrap,
0: or a South Bend lathe. Ah, that so, sounds like Kurt gets dealing with some existential shit there. <laughs> so here's a little paragraph I thought, or just a few sentences about the book. Now it can be told. So the book now it can be told was the book by Kilgore Trout that he gave to Dwayne Hoover that made him go insane. The premise of the book was this. Life was an experiment by the creator of the universe who wanted to test a new sort of creature he was thinking of introducing into the universe. It was a creature with the ability to make up its own mind. All the other creatures were fully programmed robots. The book was in the form of a long letter from the creator of the universe to the experimental creature the creator congratulated the creature and apologized for all the discomfort he had endured. But anyway, that gave you the idea of the book that Dwayne Hoover read that made him go crazy. What yeah. about the
1: uh, machine part? What about the machine part? Um. Well, yeah. I, a- I like that part a lot from the book. So he says, like... This is Dwayne Hoover reading the book, right? Yeah, now. This yeah, is yeah. like, your parents were fighting machines and self-pitying machines. Your mother was programmed to ball out your father for being a defective money-making machine. And your father was programmed to ball out your mother for being a defective housekeeping machine. They were programmed to ball out each other for being defective loving machines. And then your father is programmed to stomp out of the house and slam the door. This automatically turned your mother into a weeping machine. And your father would go down to the tavern where he would get drunk with some other drinking machines. Then all the drinking machines would go to a whorehouse and rent fucking machines. And then your father would drag himself home to become an apologizing machine. And your mother would become a very slow forgiving machine.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's the most times I've read machine in a paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think... Do you believe in free will or oh, that absolutely. we're all machines?
0: Oh you get you wanna <laughs> get deep more deep than that? Do you believe in predetermination? I, or what was it? Pre predeterminate. Predestination? Predestination? Is that that's like determinism. Determinism, right? determinism, yeah. Determinism. I was combining the two. Where everything is already gonna Determined. happen. And, yeah. That we are just yeah. Do you believe in that? Of course not. Come on, Tim. No,
1: I mean I think it's interesting because I'm watching Westworld right now, Oh which uh, I recommend. Because um, it's like... I
0: don't have HBO, though. Eh,
1: just get it. Oh. Um, it's like these machines are slowly sort of... No spoilers, but like...
0: No, I know. From like, the trailer. Yeah. The machines yeah.
1: are kind of getting like, you know, it, some consciousness or like free will. And it's pretty philosophical. What's called? Isn't it called something? Anthony Hopkins.
0: No. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like when... Artificial intelligence gets... Oh, the singularity. The singularity. Thank <laughs> you. When artificial intelligence gets awareness of their own existence and mortality, right? Mm-hmm. And then they then we're all screwed. Because that's basically Terminator. They're coming out with a new Terminator, too. Did you yeah. <laughs> Jane, anyway. Jane Connor. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, this one part towards the end, after Dwayne Hoover goes crazy mm-hmm. and beats up a lot of people... Um, they call on this big bus uh, that was re- reconverted to a, um ambulance mm-hmm. so they could house a lot of different people and one of the the drivers is Eddie Key and this totally side random character mm-hmm. but he is an African American who is also a descendant of Francis Scott Key who wrote The Star Spangled Banner but Eddie Key he knows so much about his genealogy because uh, his family did what so many African families still do in Africa which was have one member of each generation memorize the history of the family so Eddie Key is coming to the scene while he has all this historical knowledge of his family in his head and then this is where um, this quote I, I like comes from Eddie Key's familiarity with a teeming past made life much more interesting to him than it was for Duane, to Dwayne For instance, or to me, or to Kilgore Trout, or to almost any white person in Midland City that day. We had no sense of anybody else using our eyes or our hands. We didn't even know who our great-grandfathers or great-grandmothers were. Eddie Key was afloat in a river of people who were flowing from here to there in time. Dwayne and Trout and I were pebbles at rest. Mm, That's really
1: uh, well written. Yeah. So... The the funny thing is that he wrote that character. So he's like... Right, he's saying, like, this character has this incredibly rich history. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, you just invented it, too. So it's like... Right, So the time thing... That's what I loved about Slaughterhouse-Five is he talked a lot about, like, um, the Tralfamadorian aliens who saw time. It's not, like, linear so much. as just, like, a thing that is always going on and always happening. Like a range of mountains or something. So it's kind of like the river. Right.
0: So... I need to read Slaughterhouse-Five again. I think so. I think so. It had more depth than this one. Because it sounds like it's it's similar to the movie Arrival, right? Slaughterhouse-Five? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was
1: trying to tell people when it came out. Okay. Yeah. I was like, Arrival I, reminded I me I
0: love lot of Arrival. Arrival really? is a great movie. Yeah. And it deals with that concept of time and non-linear, non-linear storytelling in such a devastating way. So, So, like, the aliens
1: have their own language, and then, uh, what's her name? Amy Adams. Amy Adams is trying to Communicate with them. She's a linguist. Yes. So she's trying to, like, understand
0: their language. Right. And then, like, her life... You're trying to understand her life at the same time. Right. Because throughout the movie, as she's trying to communicate with these aliens, and time is of the essence, and they're working really hard at this makeshift government-based camp, we are seeing flashbacks, and I'm using air quotes here, flashbacks... I know, spoiler. Oh, we are seeing flashbacks to her past, but then, oh, the ending what is so time. good. Yeah. What is time, Tim? Except the measuring stick from what we, I don't know. I got nothing. Brian's tired, I think, I so we're going to
1: wrap this up soon.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I just got a couple more.
0: No, that's fine. Go for it, man.
1: Okay, so um, one little quote I liked was that he says, Trout was petrified there on 42nd Street. It had given him a life not worth living, but I Oh, sorry. I had given him a life not worth living, but I had also given him an iron will to live. This was a common combination on the planet Earth.
0: Ooh. <laughs> that's a good one. I forgot about that
1: one. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. And gosh, that's a good one. I just have one more. It's a little bit longer, but oh, it's my last one. one. And I think it sums up his um, I think it sums up the book pretty well. Okay. Why were so many Americans treated by their government as though their lives were disposable, were as disposable as paper facial tissues? Because that was the way authors customarily treated bit-part players in their made-up tales, and so on. Once I understood what was making America such a dangerous, unhappy nation of people who had nothing to do with real life, I resolved to shun storytelling. I would write about life. Every person would be exactly as important as any other. All facts would also be given equal weightiness. Nothing would be left out. Let others bring order to chaos. I would bring chaos to order instead, which I think I have done. If all writers would do that, then perhaps citizens not in the literary trades will understand that there is no order in the world around us and that we must adapt ourselves to the requirements of chaos instead. It is hard to adapt to chaos, but it can
0: be done. I am living proof of that. It can be done. Nice. That's a good one. That perfectly explains the whole methodology through his book. Yeah. <laughs> that he is just laying bare the facts and we are to build up the meaning from them. Like lighting a, a, a tube filled with leaves on fire, that's smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and putting holes in people is what a gun does. And like, so that is such a well, well, well written paragraph. It Yeah, it captures the absurdity of everything
1: pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like we're all just like, Crazy side characters right. colliding with each other yes. in the Midwest.
0: Right. <laughs> anyway, right. rating time. Rating time. You want me to go first so you don't. I don't steal your rating. Although you're gonna. I think we're gonna. I'm it. gonna write it down. You're gonna write it down. Yeah. Okay. I am. I was going back and forth.
1: hmm
0: I'm giving it a 3 Mm-hmm. Be back and forth between what? A two and a three. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think it's a. I think it's a three though. Because I liked it, but, like, I am going to forget about it in six months. <laughs> no, okay. No offense to Kerbonigat. I mean,
1: uh, I, I like, I, you know, yeah. I wanted to read his other books and kind of get more mm-hmm. background, but um, I think I'm going to say four. All right. I know you're surprised. I am a little surprised. <laughs> Obviously, I'm biased because I picked it, but uh, <laughs> it's the confirmation
0: uh-huh. fallacy yeah. or whatever. Confirmation bias, but... Uh-huh. I thought and part of the reason I would give it a two is because I didn't pick it <laughs> but no it's a, it's a three for
1: me definitely it's like we said like I respect his mm-hmm. unique voice I wish more even though it's a little too much in a lot of ways yeah. I wish more authors kind of took chances to be more uniquely their own because so many books are just sort of run of the mill like d- don't stand out regardless of whether it's as good or bad at least you can say like he did it his way
0: right so. and I agree that's another thing I like about Vonnegut is each book is different you're not gonna I mean it has the same it has the same feel of a Vonnegut but totally different story to Vonnegut has a unique voice, definitely. Yeah.
1: It's a lot of like absurdity and kind of dark but also funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah, is how I put it. Yeah, so hey Tim, we're getting more <laughs> listeners, man. I told my coworkers about us. huh. And we have at least two new listeners. They're probably just being nice and saying they are probably well just listened. being nice. They like they like your little intro music though. Everyone <laughs> likes the intro music.
1: Okay, if anyone makes it makes it to this point in the episode, <laughs> they're the true fans. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. we need some way to like prove it, like a secret message. Ah. Like um, get pick out a random word or something pick and then a random doorknob Okay, if you see Brian, say, tell him doorknob and, like, wink at him next time you see him. And that way we'll know
0: you listen. Or to the Or somebody episode. posts, Go to our website, twoguysonebook.com, and comment on the Breakfast of Champions episode page when it comes out, doorknob, mm-hmm. and we'll know who the real And fans you'll get are. entered for a $100 Amazon gift what? card no. <laughs> from Brian. <laughs> no. It'll be entered for our gratitude we only can get our gratitude to one person though I wonder what the lowest Amazon gift card
1: you can give out is you just get a oh, bunch of like you
0: gotta give like five bucks one
1: dollar right? gift cards to, to our $1. fans
0: would it even be worth to have one dollar gift cards it costs more it would, cost it would be
1: funny to just have a bunch of those and just sort of like bribe people like I'll give you five one dollar <laughs> <you> Amazon <laughs> gift cards you know
0: <laughs> just carry cash
1: <laughs> I don't know I guess so. <laughs> to me I'd almost rather have an Amazon gift card than a dollar bill really almost i hate Why? like i hate paper money it's just like, no, but like dirty you, the, you can the, spend the it one, anywhere
0: the one dollar <laughs> amazon gift card would be so you have to log on you have to enter the access code You am logged yeah. in automatically oh my god i would just give me the dollar cash <laughs> i would oh my gosh seriously tim i would take one dollar cash right now over a two dollar amazon gift card when's the last time you used cash um, when we went to go see the Sundance Shorts.
1: Okay. Yeah. For those who don't know, the Sundance Shorts are movies. Yeah. This is, to bring it back to Vonnegut, <laughs> he would say, like, for those who don't know, yeah. a squirrel looks like this. And, like, <laughs> so, it, it, and then he'd draw a picture. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Did this take place in a post-apocalyptic world where, like, all the animals were dead or something?
0: What? This book? No.
1: Because he'd be like, and this is what an apple looked like. He would, like, draw stuff like it didn't exist anymore or something. No,
0: that's just him just presenting only the facts. He's not... He is not assuming that the reader knows anything. That Mm -hmm. was from the paragraph you just read. He is bringing chaos to the order. So it's almost like you thought the
1: narrator before you found out yes. it was him, you thought it could be like an alien robot Correct. person, but it's almost like his
0: audience is alien robot people because he's, the way he's writing. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think that would have been a fine twist too if this ca- other character wasn't Kurt Vonnegut but some other person that was communicating to Intelligent Life off of Earth and explaining why it's such a shit show down here. Yeah. It's doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> all right so yes go to our website please and comment and stuff two guys one book.com but hey what are we we're we ready for our next book yeah what's our next book prisoners of geography and i picked it it's a brian pick so it's suck. gonna be good it's gonna be a book about maps which is a great <laughs> great uh, format yes a format to I'm share it over a, two a podcast already. i'm just gonna call huh? it i'm giving it a two. Oh my god <laughs> all right two guys one book.com thank you everyone and by everyone I mean the three people that listen to the show. Oh my god. Until next time. Keep reading. Door knob.